It's 970 WAMD Aberdeen, and this is the Harford Edge, keeping you on the cutting edge of what's new in Harford County and beyond. I'm co-host Leslie Greenlee-Smith, Administrator of Marketing and Public Relations for the Harford County Public Library, and that is Bob Mumby. The Harford Edge is brought to you each week by your Harford County Public Library. Uh, I do want to talk briefly, well, talk, this is my complaint, my courtesy, <laughs> we call it our courtesy session. Yes. Which, and we acknowledge it that we're not perfect, but we still like to complain about lack of courtesy. For instance, you all know where the festival is. Yes. You know, there's a, the section over by um, the Verizon store yes. and Subway. Mm -hmm. um, people go in there. 99% of the people park in a spot. 1% mm -hmm. park in the street. Mm-hmm. It's a roadway. Yeah. Because they're busier than everyone right. else. And then everyone has to go around them. And they give you the look when you give them the look. <laughs> Secondly, these, um, these stores that sell tires and batteries and all that stuff, some of them are great. Everybody needs to double check what they tell you. I went into one two weeks ago, had a tire that had a leak, and it was, it was on... The side wall so it was gonna have to be replaced um, I went in uh, I wouldn't say the name of the place guy said good news is we have your tire the bad news is it's two hundred sixty five dollars I said why is that he said that's the tire you need for your car I said is no other model lines no other mm -hmm. models uh, oh yeah we do so I said can I see them so he actually turned around his computer and I looked uh -huh. there were eight models it went from eighty two dollars to two sixty five. Oh and he told me, unfortunately it's gonna be two sixty five. So I said, I'll take the eighty two dollar one. Right. And how much more? Because they, they say that it's just that well, aligning and valves and it, it was and, yeah. gonna, it, that still was gonna be a hundred and forty eight dollars. On top of the tire. On box. on a Buick Lucerne. <laughs> <laughs> like a Humvee. Wow. So I, I I walked out, but everyone out there, don't especially if they think you're you're in a hurry or you're going to be submissive about mm -hmm. it or just always question. Not everybody's dishonest, but a lot of people are. Got a call yesterday from a woman. I'm with the Breast Awareness Fund. Okay. I said, okay, if I give you a thousand dollars, how much does the the research or the uh, patients get? Mm -hmm. um, oh, after expenses, 15 percent. Oh my God! So this is a marketing firm. Yeah. And breast like another one was injured police officers fund I got last week. Uh huh. There's someone calling saying they're from the Maryland um, uh, Sheriff's Benevolent Association, and it's some strip mall in Middle River. I did checking on it. I called Joe Castley on it. It's um, anyway. Oh. So. First of all, breast awareness. I mean, I was right. I was interested in that cause when I was in seventh grade. Sure, sure. <laughs> but do not give money to people giving making phone calls. It's a marketing firms that, if the charity even exists, um, the charity's getting a small fraction of it. I read numbers a lot on right. the air, like the Children's Relief Fund, um, uh, uh, injured veterans. Uh, Firefighter Burn Fund. Excuse me, my chair has just sunk. I can down. tell it's not for I think you. I'm getting too worked up over here. <laughs> and uh, we have so many great local charities. That's know, right. Here, so. Indeed. Amen. Okay, that's enough. I talk too much. <laughs> Get going to break. Yeah, we need to take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking with author Kate Messner. The Harford County Public Library's Innovation Lab, located at the Abington Library, is now open to the public with hands-on training for area community members ages 6th grade and above. Through creative experiences in the Innovation Lab, you can develop new skills, resources, and products that will help to drive Harford County's economy forward. The Innovation Lab's technology includes the MarketBot Replicator 5th Generation 3D Printer. 3D creation software including MarketBot and PrinterBot, 123D Make and 123D Design, professional green screen with Studio Lightbox in both Apple and Windows computers, all to help create your electronic video, audio publishing, and 3D design projects. 
For more information or to reserve the Innovation Lab for your special project, call 410-638-3990 or visit the Abington Library at 2510 South Tollgate Road. Welcome, I'm co-host Leslie Greenlee-Smith from the Harford County Public Library, and that is Bob Mumby, and this is The Hartford Edge. We're delighted to have author Kate Messner on the line with us today, and we have so much to talk to her about. Kate, we're so excited to be working with you. Welcome, and thank you for coming on this morning. Oh, thanks so much for the invitation to join you. Yes, and we, um, uh, we can tell everyone out there that uh, you probably have a beautiful view as we speak of Lake Champlain. Indeed, it's beautiful here right now. October, our foliage season is a little bit late this year, so October has been just perfect. Yeah, I don't know. The trees, after this year, they don't know what to do. They don't know where they are. (laughs) Uh, I think you're right. So, uh, first of all, uh, just fantastic book uh, in so many ways. Um, I'm not uh, overstating it to say this, you know. It, it, it feels like a classic in so many ways, and we'll talk about that. Uh, but um, tell us a, b- a bit about yourself um, first, uh, how you got here. Sure. Well, um, I came to my writing career in a kind of, um, through a kind of circuitous path. Um, I actually grew up in a really small town and uh, never knew anybody who was an author when I was growing up. I mean, I, I loved to read, and so I w- were, was aware that authors wrote books. But it never quite occurred to me that authors were regular people like me who like to tell stories. I always, you know, pictured Beverly Cleary and Judy Bloom living in, in castles somewhere far away and just sending books down to the rest of us. Um, so it was actually um, when I was much older that I came to, to writing as a career. When I was in high school, I remember going into my guidance counselor and, you know, getting ready for college and say, well, what is it that you like to do? And I said, well, I, I like to write stories. And he said, oh, great. You could be a journalist. I was like, okay, then, journalism it is. And so uh, I actually went to college at Syracuse University for broadcast journalism, Um, spent seven years as a TV news producer and reporter, um, and then went back to school for for education uh, because I grew up in a family of educators and and, uh, still kind of felt called toward that. So I went back to school, got my teaching degree. I taught middle school English for 15 years. Um, and it was while I was teaching, uh, working with those students and, and sharing lots and lots of stories with them and working together with them on writing, that the, uh, the storytelling part of me sort of um, woke up again. Um, and so I started uh, writing a little more seriously for publication. Then I've been writing my whole life, but um, started writing a little more seriously for publication and uh, was actually doing both. I was writing books and teaching for about five years before it uh, got to be a little bit too much and I, I shifted to full-time writing and Spending time still in classrooms when I, you know, visit to do writing workshops and things. And now you know that Beverly Cleary also would yell into the other rooms to tell her kids to be quiet. Uh, it's writing. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you've just given us a big clue as to why the book is so great, especially for the audience, because there's a connection and engagement you seem to have with Charlie and Drew that... Um, I think is one of the things that makes it so valuable because you're not talking at them. Um, and we'll get into that, but uh, the middle school English teacher uh, for 15 years, that explains a lot. And that yeah, is so I mean, valuable on, on a few levels, case. I think. Um, I, you know, I, for, for starters, you know, I, I taught more than a thousand students. So that's a thousand 12 year old voices that, uh, that still are, are living in my head very much. Um, and also, I, I was very aware, I think as an English teacher, you end up hearing stories that maybe the math teacher and the science teacher aren't as likely to hear, because so much of the writing that we do um, is personal. And even when it's not personal, the way you re- the way a, a student responds to a piece of literature is, is not just what's written on the page, it's what's written on the page, plus the sum of that student's life experiences. And so when you talk about literature, um, when you write with students, you end up hearing hearing their stories. Um, and so all, all of my students' stories are very much a, a part of the writer that I am, I think. And I, I for sure, you know, had lots of students over the years who, um, you know, brought a lot to school with them from home. I mean, we, when we come to school, just like when adults go to work, um, you know, you're, you're bringing with you that suitcase full of, of stuff that happened at home that morning and the day before and everything that's going on in your life. 
um, you know, I taught some kids with some, some pretty heavy suitcases and, um, you know, always tried to be mindful of that. You know, at, at the end of the day, yeah, I want your homework, but really I want you to be okay. Um, and so needed, I think as an English teacher, you hear a lot about that. Mm-hmm. And kids that needed to do a lot of heavy stomping. Yeah, exactly. Like the dancers. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That reminds me of uh, what the, um, Forrest Gump said to Jenny after she was throwing the the rocks at at her childhood house. He said, Jenny, sometimes there's just not enough rocks. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. So tell us, uh, the book is The Seventh Wish. Again, it's it's a beautiful book, and it is so, so appropriate uh, to to all of us, uh, and apropos to what uh, we all are going through, and I know that's one of the um, the themes. It's, It's we, it's not them. Um, as far as uh, addiction, and um, it's about you know the the humanization of addicts um, and uh, the normalization of not acceptance, but the, the ability, especially for kids this age, to understand that they're not freaks and they're they're, they're not others. Uh, right. Charlie goes through that constantly. Whether which Abby is she dealing with, um, you know, and so. Uh, for everyone out there, uh, uh, it's such a recommend to read on so many levels. Um, and to just uh, tell the folks, Wednesday, November 8th, uh, is uh, you're going to be um, at, um, at, at our library, at the Abingdon Library, at 6.30 p.m. To, ha- to host a book's discussion about The Seventh Wish and Carol Frontera who is one of the strongest and uh, most active members of our community in so many ways, but especially on addiction and, and recovery, uh, will be uh, moderating that book discussion. Correct, yep. So um, we can't wait to, uh, to see you that night. And um, folks, uh, go to hcplonline.org to find out more and um, about this. And the library is also... Uh, put up some great uh, resources and discussion questions as well uh, about this. And this is free and open to the public, so everyone's invited. Uh, do they need to register? Registration Leslie? is recommended, but you do not have to. Okay. Yeah, you can just show up that evening. Okay. Um, and uh, first of all, uh, before we get started, Kate, uh, how do people find out more about this book and your other books? It, it is Kate Messner. Dot com, correct? Yep, that's exactly right. Yep, and then you can just click on the books tab, and I've written uh, 30 books that are out now, so a variety of uh, picture books, and I have a couple chapter book series. Um, I write a really wide variety of books, which makes some people look at me and say, who are you exactly <laughs> as a writer? But, um, you know, I always tell kids I'm very curious, and I think that leads you in a lot of different directions sometimes. So, um, yep, I have quite a, quite a variety of books, including The Seventh Wish that you can read about there. Well, it's evident also the research you do because um, uh, what I've learned about uh, Feshiana and mm-hmm. uh, and ice fishing, and, <laughs> um, as far as the uh, the ice flowers, you probably have perf- personal experience with that. But uh, um, I do, I do. The Seventh Wish opens with uh, a scene on one of the coldest days of the year, and Charlie Brennan, the main character. Um, has been waiting for that cold day when, when Lake Champlain freezes. So, And she's hoping that the ice flowers will come. And ice flowers are actually a real phenomenon, uh, mostly an Arctic phenomenon, it turns out. But I live far enough north in New York State that, you know, there's not too too far uh, a distance from, from the Arctic, um, and in terms of weather anyway. Um, but on the, the coldest morning of the year, several years ago, I uh, woke up and I was excited to go down and downstairs and see the lake to see if it had frozen so we could figure skate or ice skate on it and um when i looked there was new ice but it was all covered with what i thought was snow and i said wow that's really weird it wasn't supposed to snow last night so i went down to the lake and saw that it actually wasn't snow but that the lake was covered with these ice flowers these like delicate feathery flowers they almost look like carnations feathery carnations made of frost made of ice and it's a a phenomenon that happens you know there's a scientific explanation about how the water vapor in the air goes directly from being a gas to a solid and it creates these really amazing um, crystal formations but at the time I was just like whoa this is like 
there's magic ice flowers all over the lake. And, and that's pretty amazing when you're a writer. So I grabbed my notebook and, you know, in my, my um, really messy, mittened handwriting, just wrote a few, a few pages about what I was seeing and what I was experiencing and how magical it felt. And um, those few pages um, became the spark for those first few pages in The Seventh Wish, which is, um, as you know, of course, a fairy tale retelling. Uh, it's a story about uh, the retelling of the, the fisherman and his wife, which is a story about the old fisherman who catches a fish that offers him a wish in return for freedom. And when he and his wife get wishing more and more and their wishes get greedier and greedier, all the wishes go wrong and it becomes kind of a wishes gone wrong story. And I decided that I would retell that fairy tale, but set it on in a modern day ice fishing community on Lake Champlain. And that instead of having an old fisherman dude as the main character, um, I would have my main character be a seventh grade girl who's an Irish dancer who's ice fishing to raise money for her first solo dress for Irish dance. So that's sort of the context. That's where Charlie starts wishing on this magical fish. Um, and then, of course, there is that more serious element uh, that, that comes up later in the story when the family discovers that her older sister, who's away at college, um, is addicted to heroin. And so um, I think the, the, the magical lens, the idea of having magical realism um, be a lens through which kids can see this issue of a family in crisis um, was really helpful to a lot of kids because it's a very non-threatening way to look at the story. You know, it's like, well, this is a story about a magic fish. And so, you know, there are all these other things going on, but I'm also getting this story about, you know, something that can, can really go wrong in real life. And, and first of all, it's hilarious. A lot of, uh, you know, she's always judging her wishing talents uh, and comparing herself to the old, the the other dumb wishers in all the folk tales (laughs) and wondering if she's one of those dumb wishers. Like she learned to really enunciate exactly what you want to happen. And she never quite gets the hang of that. Um, Right. Things go wrong. (laughs) Right. And it's for for kids that age, uh, you know, it, 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 I thought the book was beautiful. One of the things I made do was, you know, outco- outcomes, wishing for outcomes versus really wishing for the essence of, of what makes something either uh, makes happiness or fulfillment. And she learned so much um, in, in all her wishes that whether it's for her, uh, you know, selfishness or uh just make, uh, uh, wasting a wish on something being a little too detailed or not following through, um, like the Roberto, um, the Roberto uh, <laughs> Sullivan. <laughs> Sullivan, I thought it was classic. Yeah. Um, and the Dasha, make uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Dasha pass your English mm-hmm. test. And I think when this is a movie, which it should be and will be, I can't wait for Drew's mascot dance. Ah, yeah, oh. green tights and all. <laughs> It's so funny. I was I was at a school visit uh, just this week on Monday, and a kid said, "What's your favorite scene in The Seventh Wish?" And I, I said, "Well, you know, there are different, so many different kinds of scenes in that story. Um, you know, because when my editor and I were working on this book, we wanted we wanted it to be a story that for sure looked at the effect that addiction has on a family, but we also wanted it to acknowledge that life goes on in those families." And the world spins around you when all this is happening. And there is still joy and there is still humor and, and all those things. Um, and so my editor, probably the nicest compliment she gave me on this book, is said, this is your saddest book and your funniest book all at once. It's both. Wow. Um, and and I, so that, that scene with, with Drew, one of um, Charlie's good friends, when he uh, has to play the, the role of the lake monster at, uh, as the mascot at the basketball game and kind of hands it up with a really fun scene to write. And, you know, I think it's a scene that readers need at that point in the story when so much is going wrong in Charlie's life. Um, but it's a scene that I needed, too, as, as a writer. I mean, you, you love your characters, and to have, you know, this, this, you know, this, this crisis swirling around her um, was hard for me as a writer. So I think those humorous scenes really help, uh, help writer and reader alike. Um, absolutely. Um, I, I love the, the self-deprecate. Charlie is an absolutely lovable kid. Mm-hmm. And so is Abby. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Drew and, you know, uh, it's really so empathetic the way you've done this. Um, I know we're jumping around, but there's so many themes that we wanted to talk about. One was, um, and there must have 
this a lot of this must be based on your experience. Um, you talk about uh, you know the, the the lack of acceptance, the denial of of Abby's addiction. Um, I hope I'm not spoiling anything in a, uh, from the beginning, but uh, she asked Charlie to lie for her, and Charlie thought she was being a good friend to her sister, mm-hmm. and right. did, did lie to her, and thought she was protecting her, and thought she was giving her what she wanted and needed when it was the exact opposite. Uh, it talks about uh, the parents. Um, it talks about, um, you know, they're great parents. Um, sure. And this happens to great parents. Um, and it talks about um, even Charlie viewing uh, the uh, people in recovery as like um, uh, freaks in a video right. until she understood um, she was... Uh, the way she said something about that Leah, her mom, that woman mm-hmm. in there, that addict, addict posing as Leah's mom, mom. and and um, Jason, the and J- right. movie star, the movie star, you know. And I thought also right. then she's um, that you said um, Charlie was so perplexed and angry because Abby signed the dare car. Yes. And um, yeah, she saw and it. It, it, it. That speaks to yeah. so many years we were talking at these kids, mm-hmm. uh, all good intentions, but it really didn't help them internalize anything. So signing the car uh, was not something that was going to make anything go away or mm-hmm. prevent something. So talk a, a little about that because you do such a great job of really removing the stigma, um, which often has caused a lot of these things to fester longer than they should because people are afraid of um, what others will say. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is, this is an, our, our, our country's heroin epidemic is a, a crisis that has flourished in darkness and secrecy and shame. I mean, it, it has fed on shame because we don't want to talk about it. Um, and I, I think that stigma, I mean, still exists very much, you know, right down to the the spark for that element of this story um, came from a personal experience that I had. You know, I live in a, um, you know, very nice neighborhood, upper middle class neighborhood on, on Lake Champlain. And I was coming home from picking up groceries a few years ago. And I got out of my car and I had my bags of groceries and I saw my neighbor in her driveway. And I shouted across, you know, I was like, hey, how you doing? And she said, terrible. And, you know, that's not the answer you're supposed to get when you say, hey, how you doing across the driveway. And so I put down the groceries. I went over. I said, what's going on? And she said, um, you know, and, and she said, I, I'm having the worst week of my life. I said, that's, what can I do? What's, what's happening? What's going on? And she said, Michaela, who is her, her daughter, her oldest daughter, who is, you know, who I knew as, you know, lived next door to us for years. Um, you know, I know her as a, a really great math student. She was, an, you know, an A-plus student in high school. She was a soccer star. She, you know, is the, she taught my daughter how to hula hoop and made her her own hula hoop when she was little. You know, she was the, the great kid next door. And my neighbor said, Michaela just told me she's hooked on heroin. And I, I, you could have knocked me over with a feather because my first thought, my first thought was that wrong thought that like, oh, my gosh, no, not her. You know, that's not who's hooked on heroin. You know, I had a picture in my head of the sort of person who's addicted to heroin. And it was not the girl next door, except it is the girl next door. And it's always the girl next door. And it's, it's so many people. It's, it's, the, it's the dad down the street. And it's the grandma next door. And it's the, the girl whose locker is next to yours. And it's the kid at soccer practice. It's, you know, it's all of those people. But we don't like to talk about that. Um, and so my reaction to that, you know, I talked to my neighbor for a while, and um, I should add that I, I you know, the story is shared in the, the author's note of the book with, with my neighbor's blessing and with her daughter's blessing. Her daughter, um, you know, went through treatment and, and recovered and is thriving now, which is, you know, one of the great happy stories that, that we have. Um, you know, some of her friends who were using with her are dead now. Um, and, and, you know, she's very aware that that could have been her, which is why she talks about this now. And she's very open about it. 
Um, so my reaction to that, my initial reaction, my gut reaction, like, oh, my God, no, that doesn't happen to people who live in my neighborhood, um, was so very obviously wrong. And it was very apparent to me at first that, wow, you know, I, I bought into that stigma um, that it made me want to explore that and, and think about it some more. And so um, that was a really big part of, of the story and really kind of wanting to work through a lot of those issues. Uh, and it's so it's so valuable. Um, one of the uh, the un, you know one of the unintended consequences of this horrible epidemic is that finally there's starting to be some sense. Uh, people are realizing this is not another side of the tracks issue. It never was, and um, it can't be wished away. Uh, and the damage it does. You know, yeah, I think a lot of people are realizing that, but at the same time, I have to tell you that quite often when I am, um, you know, depending on where I'm speaking, when I'm doing a school visit or something, every once in a while I get an email from a librarian or a teacher that says, oh, by the way, we're not going to sell, we're not going to offer the seventh wish on the list of all your books when we offer them to kids because it's not appropriate for our community. Um, wow. And... You know, this is, it doesn't happen often, but every once in a while, it's like, oh, by the way, you know, um, I actually got an email from a librarian who set up a Skype visit saying, we don't want you to talk about that book. And I was like, well, if kids ask about that book, I'm not going to refuse to answer their questions. Like, I won't do that. So, you know, you have the choice of either being okay with that or you can cancel the Skype visit if you need to. And they canceled the visit. Wow. Um, so the just, and these are inevitably, these are, um, you know, higher schools and in, in, in communities with higher socioeconomic profiles. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are people who are like, nope, that doesn't happen here. And we are not going to talk about that here. Um, which is, it's heartbreaking for me because it's, you know it happens there. Scary. And you know that somewhere in that classroom is a kid who's living through Charlie's story. You know, what do we say to that kid when we're like, oh, this book is inappropriate? You know, are we, what do we, your life is inappropriate? What you're living through is inappropriate and is so bad that we can't even talk about it? Uh, I think we're making those kids invisible. And, um, so as, as much as I think there has been some progress, and I've been really heartened by most of the reactions to the seventh wish and the fact that, yeah, thank you, we're finally talking about this with kids, there, there still is that other side of things. And almost always it's in those, um, you know, those, those communities with higher socioeconomic profiles where people are like, no, that, that doesn't happen here. It's not an issue here, and so we're not going to talk about it. So that's, that's still very discouraging sometimes. Uh, uh, and maybe we're a little jaded here mm-hmm. jaded in that we have a very active community and a lot of brave uh, courageous uh, family members who have um, who have lost loved ones mm-hmm. to this disease and have been very vocal and um, so but and I think that makes a huge difference mm-hmm. that, when people speak up like that mm-hmm. it makes such a huge difference and you know it, people have to see um, you know, and then we can we can not only talk to kids about the issue, which I think is huge in terms of prevention, we can also tell those kids who are living through this, hey, I see you, and this isn't your fault, and this, this you know, you're not by yourself here, you're not in this alone. And I think that's just huge. I uh, bookmarked one, uh, one thing in here, said, uh, um, I, I wish I could tell... Um, Somebody else my secret that this Charlie talking about her sister's addiction. It feels so heavy inside me, but part of me still feels ashamed. Like Abby using drugs makes me a bad person somehow. Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of families deal with. Um, you know, I, I had a conversation with one librarian who actually emailed me and she said, you know, we're, I had ordered your book for my classroom, for my library, but when I found out that it dealt with a family dealing with addiction, I canceled the order because we're, our kids are young and they're innocent and nobody here deals with that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she was, she was great about engaging with me. And we had a really lengthy back and forth over email where I was like, you know, maybe keep in mind that sometimes those, those families who, who live in the fancy nice houses are just better at keeping secrets. 
-hmm. And you probably do have kids who are dealing with all of this. And, you know, how, how does that make them feel if there are no stories that, you know, that reflect that back at them, that, that, that they can see that this is not just them. They're not all by themselves. Yeah, it's, 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 it's amazing. And you wonder, and I mentioned, uh, you know, uh, half jokingly a movie, but I can't think of, of many movies mm-hmm. or anything in the popular culture that hits this. Portrays ha- it like this. Portrays mm-hmm. it like this. Mm-hmm. And they, these are the people that are most at, at, at risk that we're keeping, we're keeping in, in a shell and, uh, and we're, we're, what we're doing is we're facilitating them being vulnerable by not being educated, not being engaged about it, um, etc. So maybe we will make that movie, Kate. We'll be your agent. <laughs> that would be that would be great. I would uh, be curious to see that. It, it is again, like I said, it's it's something that we just haven't talked about enough with with kids and with families. I think um, you know we are seeing a few more books that that touch on it now. If you, um, I always recommend to to um, families with slightly younger kids. I think, feel like The Seventh Wish is, is great for, for fourth grade and up, and some third graders too. Um, but for second and third graders, you know, um, there's a, a Jenny Holm has a, a couple graphic novels out called uh, Sunny Side Up and Swing It Sunny that deals with similar issues. Um, her older brother, the main character's older brother in that story, is dealing with some kind of um, substance abuse. It's unspecified in that story. Um, and in that story, interestingly enough, the main character, the child in the story, is, is kind of kept in the dark. Her family doesn't tell her what's going on. It's just, you know, something's happening, and she's shuttled off to live with grandparents in the first book. Um, but it also addresses that, that feeling of confusion and isolation and, and, you know, why is this happening in my family and what's wrong with us? Um, so I think those are, are great books, too. I think we are starting, like I said, starting to see a little more of that um, and a little bit more openness, but we have a ways to go, I think. And she says about her mom to herself, you'd think the school nurse would be able to keep mm-hmm. her own kid away from heroin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she realizes, um, you know, uh, how, how wrong that is. That yeah, was... and I think she, she shows some kind of important empathy for her parents there. Mm-hmm. You know, because Charlie in this story, um, you know, when, when a family is, is in crisis like this, and, you know, because one person is, is dealing with addiction, um, that's life-threatening. Everything stops, and everything suddenly revolves about that one per- around that person mm-hmm. in crisis. Um, that can be really hard on the other siblings. And I think Charlie, uh, you know, go, kind of goes through all the stages there, where she's angry and she's resentful, and she's like, "Well, why, why can't, why isn't my life important anymore?" Um, but also, I think has has some empathy for her parents, and like, you know, what must this be like for them too? Right, and. I think it's it's beautiful that the parents, uh, uh, you know, they're they're so identify easy to identify with. They their their motives, their how hard they try, uh, you know, and you know you can you can be the best parent in the world and love your kid more than anything, and this still can happen, um, which is again going yeah. back to the stigma. And I think that's part of the reason that I've faced the challenges that I have with The Seventh Wish um, is because it is scary for adults. I mean, that message that you just touched on right there that, look, you know, addiction doesn't follow rules, you know, and there's no vaccine for it right now. You know, there's no way to make sure this isn't going to happen in your family. That is terrifying if you're the kind of parent that Charlie's parents are. You know, the kind of parent who has done everything you can to ensure that your kids are happy and healthy and successful, for somebody to come in and say, you know, this might happen anyway, um, is just terrifying. And it's, I, again, I think it's part of the reason um, I've had pushback in a few communities about this book. I always tell kids when I do school visits and, and talk about the book, um, I say, you know, this story has been a little bit controversial. Um, and sometimes people will say, why do you write about this stuff for kids? Why do you have to write about that? Um, and I tell students, you know, it's never the kids who ask that question. Kids know that kids' lives aren't perfect. It's always adults who ask that question. Um, and as adults, I think we want 
kids' lives to be a lot more perfect than they are, and that's, that's a good intention. But when we, we hide information from kids and we, you know, refuse to share stories with them that, that deal with some of those realities, um, I think that can be really dangerous. I think we're, 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 A, you know, not sharing the information that they need to, to make choices down the road, but, B, you know, we have kids. I don't care where you work, where you teach, where you live. There are kids in your community, in your classroom, who are dealing with this. Um, and when we refuse to talk about it, you know, we're, we're kind of erasing their experiences and leaving them alone with it. And, and we're preventing ourselves from ever being able to find out if something's wrong by, by creating, uh, by almost forcing them into silence uh, uh, and right. forcing them into believing that they're going to be disappointing us or they'll be punished or embarrassed if... Um, they admit any of these things that are going on right and it's interesting sometimes I'll, I'll have conversations with teachers who are like well we think it's a great book but not to share with kids in fourth grade or fifth grade or sixth grade we think they should read it in ninth and tenth grade and it's it's you know you, you're missing your window when you do that you know when you when you wait too late to start having conversations about kids and I don't care if it's about drugs or sex or whatever if you wait too late to have that conversation the foundation isn't there for the kid to come to you when they have questions or concerns or when they're in trouble or when they need help. I mean, I've had conversations with my neighbor, um, you know, about the fact that, that that open relationship she had with her kid. I mean, imagine going to your mother and saying, I have a huge problem. I'm hooked on heroin. Like, what kind of strength must that relationship have had before that? And what kind of conversations must they have had before that for her to feel like, you know what? I've, I've got a huge issue here. I need I need help, and I'm going to go tell my mother what's going on. I mean, that's that's huge, and that to be honest with you, probably saved her life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, not to mention uh, the recent statistics that we're seeing about middle schoolers who have tried something or have had the opportunity to dabble in these. Um, in these killer substances is is it's really high. So uh, to say that you know a fourth grade and fifth grade is too young too young to start preparing these kids is just ignoring reality. Right. And on the the flip side of that, there was a school in uh, Maine, um, Oxford Elementary School, and a teacher, Melissa Garrett, who um, spearheaded an initiative to have their whole fifth grade read the seventh wish in connection with their dare program with their um um, drug abuse uh, resistance and education program Um, and that was incredibly powerful when i visited their school on book tour um the dare officer was there and he'd read the book you know and so we we talked together about about that and when he was working with the kids he talked about how charlie and abby's story mirrored what he had seen on the streets in their community which is you know like most of our communities one that's that's you know, getting you're, where you're hearing calls every day about an overdose on the, the police scanner. Um, so for him to, to make that connection and to really bring it home to them uh, was just incredibly powerful. And then the kids wrote these amazing reflections after they had read and been through their, their, um, their program, um, you know, talking. They wrote letters to their future selves. called Dear, and So they'd start out and they'd say, Dear Future Me, um, to remind themselves of the story that they read and how they felt when they saw how Abby had, you know, hurt her family um, and how, how what effect her, her um, you know, her heroin addiction had on the people she loved. Um, and I think, you know, I, my hope is that they're going to remember that down the road because at some point all of our kids get to that place where they have to make a decision, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not going to be, it's not going to be sticking a needle in their arm the first time. It's going to be some smaller decision about, do I try this? Do I not try this? Um, but stories have a way of coming back to us. It's the way we learn as humans. And if they've read stories about characters in those situations and have stories to fall back on, you know, hopefully they're going to make better choices. But, and it's the humanization of it. It, it, it. Instead of talking at these kids... Um... Signing, right, it's that it's like, that recognition that this could be my family. Right, mm-hmm. this is this is me. Uh, you know, yeah. so it's, I'm not just sign, signing a dare car is fine, but it really doesn't do anything to connect the kids to the real life 
implications of it. So um, that's just really powerful. Um, we have one more question about the book, then uh, uh, we want to talk briefly to acknowledge uh, Leslie and the library team's work on, on this um, uh, on this Seventh Wish uh, and the programs around it. Then we have some questions for you as an author. Uh, so um, my first, qu our last question about the book is: um, Tell us about Meredith and uh, where you got the idea <laughs> and the symbolism behind mm -hmm. Meredith, because it's it's it's, it's, it's cute and it's beautiful uh, and throughout uh, and comical and uh, meaningful as well. So. So uh, Meredith is uh, the flower baby that, uh, that Charlie's friend has to take care of. The, the whole flower baby project is one, and I've seen it done with flowers and eggs that, that some middle school home, uh, home and career skills teachers use, where a student has to take care of an egg or a bag of flour, as the case is with Meredith, uh, for a period of time, whether that's a week or two weeks or a month, and they have to treat it as if it's a child, which is to say they're not allowed to leave it alone, they can't leave it in the car if they go in shopping, um, and they have to make sure it doesn't break. <laughs> so when I, when I taught middle school, this was a project that, that our students did, and um, you know, there were always people who came in with their, their flower babies duct taped together because you know, somebody dropped it, or somebody stole it, or somebody poked it, or, or something, um, but it, it, it kind of brings the whole idea of, of uh, parenting down to a kid's level in some ways and the idea of this is hard and and you know I think it, it creates at least a bit of empathy for kids um, when it comes to to parenting and, and some things are out of your control and you can do your best but it's just really hard and and there aren't easy answers so um, that was I mean first of all it was it was a, a kind of a, a funny element to the story because, you know, some pretty comical things happen when you're trying to take care of a five-pound bag of flour for a month and, you know, all these different things are happening to it. Um, it, it added to the, the character of uh, Catherine, um, but also I think it, it creates that, that little little window um, in, from a, a kid into a parent's world, too. Loved it. Mm -hmm. Loved it. Um, okay, so we're going to talk uh, Wednesday, November 8th. Uh, Kate is coming to town, the Abingdon Library, 6.30 p.m. And uh, Leslie, uh, we just, it's, it's great uh, between the library and Hartford Office of Drug Control Policy, which um, just is amazing what they do in community services and Healthy Hartford. Yeah. Um, talk about uh, how, what the genesis of this was, because this is really, we have this great book by Kate, but now it's turned into this really great learning experience for, for hundreds of, of kids mm -hmm. and their families. Mm -hmm. Well, um, you know, the, the plans for this event have been in the works since the spring, and really one of the first things that we did um, as a library is teamed up with Harper County Public Schools and sent all of our children's librarians to do a um, book talk in the spring and talk to children about this event and this book. Um, we had, they talked about other books as well, but we introduced it to them at that time and we had bookmarks and we um, had already scheduled book discussions at each of our 11 libraries in Harford County and so that was really the start of it. Um, and then we were full swing into our summer reading challenge and we kind of immersed the seventh wish into that as well. Um, handed out bookmarks, talked to PTAs. I mean, I really have to hand it to um, all of our children's librarians and our children's librarian coordinators. Um, just really partnered with so many organizations for the last couple months to talk about this and introduce it. And Kate, when you talk about just um, some parents are apprehensive about discussing this with their children. Um, that's why we kind of started small and we've been growing since the spring because we were uh, concerned about that as well. Um, and then we uh, were very fortunate to have some wonderful, uh, generous sponsors who purchased books for us, uh, Healthy Harford, Harford County Office of Drug Control and the Harford County Public Library Foundation all teamed up together and funded the purchase of these books that we could hand out to children for free 
in preparation for these book discussions that um, have been going on and will uh, finish up right before uh, you come to town. And and that's fantastic. What a great uh, what a great way to get get families engaged and to open up those conversations. Thank you. Thank you. It's been really interesting. Um, I, I spoke with one of our moderators at one of our libraries who recently did uh, a book discussion. I think it was on Thursday uh, last week. And she had, you know, there were 14 children, uh, 14 people in attendance. And she did have uh, some younger children, but she also had some older children um, up to high school. And there was a mix of public school and homeschool students, which we have a really strong homeschool community here in Hartford County, which I don't know that all counties in Maryland share that. Um, I know ours is a really strong community. And the children were asked um, some discussion questions to talk about the book and how they felt and really get down to their level. Now, when we handed the books out to the children, we put a flyer in there that had the discussion questions in there so that parents and children could start the dialogue. And it was just a really interesting mix. Our moderator um, said that every single person who attended spoke at one time or another. Um, the younger children uh, just felt sadness. And I think that comes from the helplessness that, you know, Charlie felt and um, some of the other characters felt. It was very relevant to these children at the book discussion. They felt that from her. Um, and then, interestingly enough, um, kind of the takeaway was that it doesn't necessarily happen in our community and that, um, you know, it's the breakdown of the family and that's why this is happening. And, you know, really just... Um, trying to pinpoint where it happens in a community and when you do you don't see yourself hmm. and, and we're going to that's interesting and, yeah and we're going to bring your book um actually i'm bringing your books up to uh i'm going to get a plug in for the shore hope foundation that's great here. yes that's great a local group that i've been uh involved in that has raised money to open our first uh, recovery house uh for women um because of as you know from your research, uh, the uh, one of the uh, most dangerous times is when the recovery resources run out. Um, right. And so uh, we've opened our first house in January. We have um, seven um, women living there, and we have a beautiful uh, program manager, uh, Myra. Mm hmm and Cam, who works with her, and Hannah, Grace, Sarah, Ashley, Lisa, Chris, and Erin. Love you, ladies. And uh, they're, uh, we're, they're probably going to come down to your discussion as well. Um, and uh, it goes for the... Fantastic. Go, oh, that'll be great to meet them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and they will, um, they spend a lot of time uh, interacting with, within the community. Because um, one... We have an 18-year-old, one's a 41-year-old mm -hmm. teacher with three kids. Um, another one's a 50-year-old woman who is a brilliant uh, tradesman, a tradesperson. Mm -hmm. There you um, go. Um, so, um, charhope.org. Mm -hmm. um, how to get that plug in. Um, and now about you, uh, Kate, as an author. Um is your favorite part of writing when you start a book or when you finish a book? It's revising. I, I love starting a book, but start, that doesn't last very long. So I start a book and I have this amazing idea of how it's going to turn out so great. And as soon as I start writing, that amazing idea comes crashing up against the writer that I am right now in a first draft. Um, and first drafts are never as great as you wish them to be. So for me, the rough draft is a little bit rocky. Um, and it's when I'm revising that I really kind of feel like start to feel like a, a competent writer and like I'm I'm doing the kind of work that I want to do. So um, you obviously don't have uh, an issue with getting started, uh, which is what uh, a lot of writers that we talk to mm -hmm. uh, finds to be one of their biggest hurdles. Do you have any advice for someone um, about getting started? I think sometimes, um, and I, I know published writers feel this way too, I think sometimes we think that 
writing is, is something that belongs to other people. And who am I to write a story? Or who am I to write down what happened to me? Or who am I to write poetry? Um, and, and I think getting over that is probably the biggest hurdle is to say, you know, you're, you're a person with a story and that's enough. You don't, you don't have to have anything else. You don't have to have anybody's permission. You don't have to have a book deal. You just have to have a story that you want to tell. So I think kind of um, just accepting that and accepting that a first draft is its only job is to exist so that you can then work, work with it later is, uh, is helpful too. Uh, where do you write and when do you write? Um, so the, I was just telling kids this at a school visit. The reality of being an, an author on with deadlines um, is that you write everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> So if I if in a perfect world on a perfect day I have uh, an office on the lower level of our house that overlooks Lake Champlain and I love to write there, but the reality is I was on book tour for two weeks uh, in October and also on deadline and so I wrote in airports and airplanes and hotel rooms and restaurants and and library offices and and all kinds of places. But um, on a on a perfect day I uh, I have a room downstairs that overlooks the lake and that's where I like to write. Uh, and I always ask this because I can't imagine it. Can you imagine being Victor Hugo or uh, uh, um, or like Dumas or somebody like that who doesn't even have a typewriter and they're writing 800-page no. books? That's <laughs> true. Never no, mind a I word can't. Processing. I can't. Yeah, no, I, I, it's amazing. And, and, you know, even – it's funny. I was talking to my daughter the other day, and, and even being a writer, you know, my, my writing career, most of it, um, certainly by after my first book was published, happened after the, the dawn of the Internet. Uh, but that especially, I mean, makes makes life so much easier and quicker. And, you know, when you just need to look up a quick thing, uh, you know, my daughter who's in high school, she's like, how did you, she was asking my husband and I the, me the other day, how did you do college without the Internet? Like, how was that even a thing? It was hard. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, word processing and, um, you know, I have a program on my computer called Scrivener that I use that's actually a screenwriting tool, but it's great for novels, helps you with outlining and, and you know, places to store research information and things. So, you know, I'm a, a big fan of technology when it's, when it's helpful and actually helping the work get done. Bartleby the Scrivener. <laughs> Who wrote that? Was that Melville? Scrivener. Uh, yeah, it's... it's uh, or Hardy. I don't know. Okay. Okay, books by Kate Messner. Uh, what are... Give me your three of your favorite books of yours. Oh, oh, that's a hard one. So I always tell kids, I've written 30 books, and you're not supposed to play favorites, but... Yeah, which kid do you, which kid <laughs> um, do you love the most? I, <laughs> I particularly like... Uh, so I have a, a picture book series with Chronicle that starts with a book called Over and Under the Snow. That's all about the, the secret world of animals that live under the snow. Um, that's one that tends to be really popular in the winter months that we're starting to head into. Um, I have a brand new easy reader. So um, think, think sort of frog and toad level um, with uh, uh, Candlewick called Fergus and Zeke. That's about a classroom mouse that sneaks out on a field trip and gets to explore the Museum of Natural History. Um, and I also do a chapter book series with Scholastic uh, called Ranger in Time. Um, and that's probably my best-selling uh, series. It's about a, a golden retriever who's been trained as a search and rescue dog, and he can time travel. So he can go anywhere in history where people might be able to use that modern-day search and rescue training. Um, so the books are set in all different historical time periods, the Oregon Trail and ancient Rome and uh, the Underground Railroad, uh, Antarctica. Viking Age, Iceland, um, you know, D-Day, World War II, the beaches of Normandy uh, is a new one coming out in January. So that's been a really interesting series to, to research and write, too. And if Drew was there, he could tell them to make sure they spit if they're under the snow. <laughs> exactly. He'd have all sorts of advice. <laughs> um, tell us about uh, your new one. You have a book. Is it is it published yet or is it about to be? published no so my my next novel with bloomsbury is called breakout uh it comes out in june and breakout is about what happens in a small town when two inmates break out of the maximum security prison and there's a massive manhunt that changes the way uh the kids in town kind of see their neighbors and also the place that they call home um probably the most challenging book i have written because it's uh, instead of a, like a traditional storytelling structure with you know a first-person narrator or third-person narrator, the entire story is told through a collection of documents. So it's as if you've opened up this scrapbook or time capsule 
that's filled with letters, uh, printout of text messages, uh, comic strips that one kid draws, news articles, photographs, signs that are posted on the market wall, petitions, recorded conversations, and all together those documents uh, tell the story. So it was a really interesting book to work on. I'm really excited for that one. It's called Breakout, and it comes out in June, June 5th. And uh, uh, your website, Amazon, Bloomsbury.com, where do people go uh, to find out more about um, All of it, any, any of those places. They can just Google Breakout Kate Messner, and it'll, it'll take them to one of those places. I'm pretty sure it's available for pre-order now. Okay. Um, and... We are November 8th, Wednesday, 6.30 p.m. at the Abingdon Library book discussion. with. Yes, uh, looking forward to that. I'm really excited to, to talk with the, the families that have been reading Seventh Wish. Oh, and you're going to love Carol as well. Yeah. Uh, she's uh, great. She's got the energy of 10 people. Absolutely, so, um, absolutely. Awesome. Oh, that'll be great. And, Leslie, anything else about the program or anything you want to add before we let... No, we're just really looking forward to it. Um, we're... Uh, ready to to have kate as our guest and open up this to our community i think it's going to be well attended and um it's just going to be so beneficial and i honestly feel like it's the start of something um and we'll see what happens after the event but i think it is definitely the start of something okay okay we'll let you get back out and um look at the leaves and Go to, to, go to, Actually, it's, to, it's back to my desk today, I'm afraid. Oh, I was okay. out hiking yesterday. So. Oh, good for hey, you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for the, the interview and for the invitation to uh, to visit both in person and on the radio show. I'm really looking forward to our event. Yeah, we can't wait. And thank you. Uh, and thank you for what you do. And we're looking forward to seeing you. Thanks, Kate. Bye-bye. Thanks so much. 